Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, this is Dick Miller. You're listening to Junk Food Cinema. Who are these guys? It's high noon, Desperados, and that means it's time for another episode of Junk Food Cinema, brought to you by Giant Chalkboards for Gun Tournaments.com. Dot com. Dot com. How are you going to know who you have to kill at high noon if you don't have a giant chalkboard? This is, of course, the weekly cult and exploitation film cast that some have dubbed The Thick and The Fed. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, the fastest pun slinger in the West, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, a novelist, a screenwriter, Lieutenant of Megaforce, the dirtiest cur whose voice you just heard, Mr. C. Robert Cargill. Hi. How's it going, man? Uh, I'm worked up today, man. I'll tell you. You're worked up today? Is it because we haven't recorded together in almost a month? Did you miss me? Is that no. what this is about? Oh, of no, course not. No, not at all. No. Not at all. <laughs> no, man. You know, we, we try to avoid political things on this show, but today politics has me so worked up, and uh, there's a, just a story of such national importance that that isn't getting enough attention and and it's killing me and and I feel that if we as a show don't comment on it that we have abandoned our uh, uh our duty to our society. All right, well we've we built the platform. Let's go ahead and and talk about this. So, in Lincoln, Nebraska, there's a man named Andrew Christensen who is a national patriot. Um he is fighting for the right things. He is being denounced. Um, and, and it's just wrong. He went before the Lincoln, Nebraska city council today to demand a local legislation forcing restaurants to remove the term boneless chicken wings from the menu because they are just chicken tenders. And finally, someone is speaking the truth about a lie. (laughs) We have been living for too long. And I cannot imagine you not having an opinion on this, Brian. I mean, are you standing I, with me and Ander and and standing against the tyranny of the boneless chicken wing, or are you part of the uh, the gaslit nation that wants to keep this lie alive? If I may, sir, give me tenders or give me death. Amen. Amen. I mean, look, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with a nice saucy boy. Like I'm down with a good old fashioned saucy boy. Um, That's like, why you do this podcast with me. It makes sense. I know. I know, but. Call it what it is, man. Calling it boneless chicken wings implies that you've removed the bones, and that is not what they have done. I mean, essentially, we're talking about a well-dressed nugget. I mean, I'd go so far as to call it a well-dressed nugget, but a wing, I will never, sir, never from my lips will you hear me call a boneless chicken wing a boneless chicken wing. Amen. Also, it has forced other people to bring up a very good point. Uh, There are a number of places in this great nation that uh, sell wings by the number, as opposed to, you know, um, uh, you know, instead of saying, I'm going to give you a pound of wings or I'm getting an order of wings, they'll say you can buy wings as 10 wings, 20 wings, 50 wings. Sure. But they don't actually give you those. They give you half of that. When you order 10 wings, are you getting 10 wings or are you getting five wings cut in half? This has been Junk Food Cinema with Are You Being Served Wings? I mean, no, they cut the wings in half and you, you're expecting 10 drum drumlets and winglings, but no, uh, you, you know, but they call them wings. Those aren't wings. Those are half wings. Okay. These are so the important issues. They are. They are definitely the important issues. And I, and I feel like we would be remiss in our civic duty if we didn't discuss the important issues. But now let me ask you this question. 
Are you somebody who goes for the drumettes or do you go for the flats? Oh, I, I like them both. I mean, for, I like drumsticks and all things. In fact, me and my wife are big drumstick fans. So we will make chicken regularly, but we will just buy the drumsticks and just eat drumsticks. Um, so I love a nice, I love a nice uh, round plump drumette. But the thing is, is the secret is, is the, 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 the wingling, you know, the other end of it, uh, they tend to have more sauce. This is true. And I have to, I have to applaud you. The answer of it's both is absolutely correct. So well done. You, you have passed the test and Cargill speaking of being remiss in our civic duties this week on the show, we're covering a movie that somehow in seven years of doing this, we have, I, I don't want to say avoided because that would be insane, but we've somehow let slip through the cracks. And today we are writing that wrong, but also let me write the wrong of the housekeeping I didn't do at the top of the show. If you like what you're hearing and why wouldn't you, we've already talked about the important issues of the day, as well as we're going to talk about a great movie. You can find our entire back catalog on iTunes, as well as on Spreaker, as well as on Spotify, as well as on the waterfront, as well as on Golden Pond. As I, Anyway, you can find them everywhere. Uh, you can also follow us on twitter at junk food cinema like the podcast on facebook facebook.com slash junk food cinema and if you really like the show i mean you really like the show i mean you like the show as much as we like the appropriately named chicken tenders with wing sauce saucy boys you can go to patreon.com slash junk food cinema where for as little as a dollar an episode you get access to bonus content that nobody else gets to hear including mailbags including getting access to our uh zoom happy hours with patrons that cargill just attended uh over the weekend with us uh as well as getting access to episodes of an entirely separate pocket there's a lot of great stuff out there right now so i highly encourage you to do so i also highly encourage you to Sit down, pull on your 10-gallon hat, hike up your boots, as we have come to judge the quick and the dead. In a town called Redemption, a winner-take-all sudden-death contest is about to take place. I decide who lives or who dies. But now, there's a new face in town. You're pretty. You're not. The kind of woman who knows that the fastest way to a man's heart... Is a Colt 45. Sign me up. Sure must want to die young, miss. At my name to the list. Gentlemen, please remember, you must not draw until that clock makes the first chime of the hour. The quick and the dead. Are you prepared to go? All the way. It's the film that's mocking the critics dead. The year's wildest ride, Sharon Stone will blow you away. Some people deserve to die. Tons of action and lots of fun. You want to play poker with me, little lady? It's like you're having a pretty good time playing with yourself. Starring Sharon Stone, Oscar winner Gene Hackman, Leonardo DiCaprio, Gary Sinise, and Lance Hendrickson. Directed by Sam Raimi of Darkman and Army of Darkness. I came here to kill Herod, and that's what I'm going to do. Some came for the glory. It takes a lot to scare me. I love the sensation. Some came for the money. Did you even see me? I was so damn fast. She came for revenge. Who are you? I'm going to kill you if I have to ride all the way to hell to do it. Oh, I'm so excited for this, Cargill. I'm so excited to finally check this one off the list. I'm excited to talk about a Sam Raimi Western and how I want more of them. I'm just excited to talk about this movie in general. We've been trying to get this on the docket for a long time. And it's something we always mention when we mention like a huge flurry of things. This movie always gets mentioned like, Oh, mm -hmm. what movie should we, Oh, we haven't done this yet or this yet or quick in the dead. Oh, I love quick in the dead. Yeah. And then invariably every time we mention it, we go, Oh, hunt for October. Ooh, what if, we did Red October. And right. then all of a sudden we get excited about a new month and Quick and the Dead just doesn't fit in. We've uh, we've talked a couple times about doing a month of modern Westerns uh, and talking about the best post, you know, uh, the, the post spaghetti era uh, Westerns. And that one's on the list, but we've never done it. <laughs> And this is <laughs> this is wrong, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about it as well because this movie um, is a movie I've loved for a very long time, and revisiting it 
it has only gotten better with age. It is it is a fine wine of a movie, unlike so many other movies that you know, um, you know, come out and are great. And you have to forgive elements of the era. There's nothing to forgive here, and it's only gotten better as the cast over time became epic. What I think is amazing about this movie was there was a time about ten years ago where I thought about this movie and realized you could not make this movie today. You could not make it at that time uh, because the cast would simply be too expensive because so many of the people in this movie went on to become titanic hits uh, uh, afterwards. Please pardon the pun. I did not mean that. I will Um, not pardon it, sir. I will not pardon that pun. Don't you dare think I'm going to let you skate by on that one. Don't tell me that was an accident. Come on. Baby Kate, like, I mean, keep in mind that the star of this movie she was just breaking in as a big lead at the time and would go on to be, you know, one of the biggest actresses of her day. And then all the other smaller actors in this film who were not the driving leads of this film because, you know, Gene Hackman was a driving lead of this film would go on to become enormous stars. So let's, let's get into this movie and talk about this movie because it is fucking insane how well this movie aged. So it's 1995 when The Quick and the Dead is released. It should be noted that the 94-95 era was lousy with Westerns. Westerns were definitely trying to make a comeback in the mid-90s. I mean, in in addition to this, we have Walter Hill's Wild Bill. Uh, We also have, of course, Desperado, which is more of a modern Western, of course. Uh, But you have everything from uh, Lightning Jack and Bad Girls to um, Unforgiven, Unforgiven, like it's just insane. Like the midnight. Oh, and then right before this, uh, this two year period I was talking about, we had Tombstone. Like the mid nineties, really, f- it felt like the the resurgence of the western. And what I love about Quick and the Dead is it merges the nineties western, which is something near and dear to my heart, to something else near and dear to my heart, and that is blood sport tournaments. Yeah, and also the fact that this was the one movie out of that crop that really was paying homage to the legacy of the Spaghetti Western. This movie is literally just drenched in spaghetti. It is just <laughs> dripping with fucking spaghetti. Um, there, I mean, right down to the fact that it's scored by Alvin uh, Alan Silvestri, but it's Alan Silvestri really fucking aping Morricone. Like, it is his love letter to Morricone, and it is fabulous like everything about this movie is a 90s version of a 60s western and that is that makes so much magic it's it's such a meal of a movie now i know it's been a month ago cargo but i'm going to ask you to think back to when we did our episode our last episode together was on the thing which is a movie where Ennio Morricone comes on to score a movie and makes it sound like somebody else's. And here in this perfect couplet, we now have a movie where Alan Silvestri is coming on to score this movie and making it sound like Ennio Morricone. And then, of course, the other obvious connective tissue here is the great Keith David, who is in both films. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, Let's talk about this cast because this cast, it's insanity. Get fucking comfortable, guys, because we have got a lot to talk about with this cast. So as we mentioned, um, we've got Sharon Stone, uh, and she is just hitting big. Basic Instinct has come out a few years before, blew her up, and now she's becoming the lead in films. And she's starting to get pickier about films. Um, She's still not the big, uh, uh, close to her peak. Uh, but this is one of those movies that put her there that showed that she was doing more than just being uh, a femme fatale. That's that unknowingly flashed beaver to the nation. Uh, by the way, let's sidebar. Oh, doesn't that feel good to say again? Oh, sidebar. <laughs> um, so it really needs to be mentioned that, you know, she, you know, the reason she became huge was because of Basic Instinct and this flash in the movie, uh, uh, which is just a beaver flash. It's also important to note that she was not aware that's what she was doing. Uh, she was told to do it by uh, the director, Verhoeven, and uh, was told that the way the shadow and the light was, it would be a hint, but it wouldn't be an actual flash that it would just, uh, people would go, did I see what I think I saw? No, I didn't. 
And that's not what he shot. What he actually shot was full on beaver flash. And everyone in America was like, you don't see that in movies. What the fuck? And all of a sudden she became cause celebra and uh, everyone was talking about her and everyone in America was in love with her and ended up as a result uh, becoming, you know, a, a huge movie star uh, out of that. But that, that was not a decision she made. And I, I've always been bothered by that. I think Verhoeven made a very, very, very poor choice as a director. And I oh, absolutely. Pointed out. Um, so, okay. So back to this. We've got Sharon Stone and it's anchored at Sharon Stone against Gene fucking Hackman. And this is like, fuck yeah, I am all in for this. But then there are a collection of great character actors and then two very young actors coming in. And this story was just talked about recently and I, I, I never heard this detail before. Sharon Stone took a pay cut on the movie. Um, in order for the production to be able to hire a young Australian actor who she'd seen in a couple movies and thought was the next big thing, a gentleman named Russell Crowe. Um, she fought to get Russell Crowe in this movie, and she's why we got Russell Crowe the way we got Russell Crowe. Um, at the same time, there is this popular child actor who had been nominated for an Oscar uh, for a movie called What's Eating Gilbert Grape, who, uh, you know, was hot off of his success on Growing Pains named Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, and he is such a baby in this movie. You want to pinch his cheeks. Like, he is so fucking young. Like, it's great. Like, it, watching it every time he came on screen, I'm like, oh, my God, he is such a child in this. Holy shit, he's so young. It kills me. Yeah, uh, and it should be noted, by the way, that as Sher- as much as this is a launching pad for Sharon Stone and it's, it's on her ascent, she still has enough pull in Hollywood that she... I mean, this is really her project. Uh, she's the one who insisted upon Sam Raimi. She's the one who insisted upon Russell Crowe when this was his first American feature, so nobody knew who he was. And she was so insistent about DiCaprio that she actually paid his salary personally. So Sharon Stone is is at the wheel of this movie entirely, and she loved Army of Darkness and thought that Sam Raimi would be a great choice. And what's insane is that no one else had thought about Sam Raimi directing a spaghetti western. His style with all of the lightning fast zooms that he does is is so perfect for all of the the showdowns and the gunfights in this movie. Like quickly, like you know, zooming into people's eyes and, and then quick cutting to a, a, a fast zoom of the clock. Like it's it's everything that you expect from a spaghetti Western. And it's like, oh, we've had Sam Raimi the whole time. And it just it didn't put two and two together that he would be able to do this well. And along comes Sharon Stone and says, no, I want Sam Raimi to direct this film. Yeah, no, I mean, she does not get enough credit for this movie being her baby and this is how cool she was. Um, then we get into the, 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 you know, you know how you often talk about Predator Two is the waiting room for the nineties. Yes, um, this is the waiting room for, for the two thousands. You know, because not only, not only did she put Russell Crowe and uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio in this, playing her father in the cutscenes is Gary Sinise. I want you guys to think about how stacked this cast is when literally Woody Strode has one line and Gary Sinise is in flashback. That's how stacked this fucking cast is. It's insane. Yeah, because then, as you mentioned, Keith David is in this. Lance Henriksen is in this. Yep. Tobin Bell is in this. Yep. Uh, and then we get like great classic character actors like Pat Hingle. Um, and Mark who- Boone Jr., and Mark Boone Jr., like, it is crazy how, like, almost every speaking role in this movie is somebody who either was a legend already or was going on to become a legend. And and then it gets, it's so great because, as you mentioned, it is a, um, it is a death sport movie. So all these great legends are killing each other. Yes. One after another. And it is... So delicious. Jessica had never seen it. Oh, uh, wow. And so she got to watch it for the first time and just ended up adoring it. Um, 
uh, in fact, she actually did the sit up in bed and clapped moment when she realized that the dynamite was going to come into play. (laughs) She's like, oh, oh, I know what's going to happen. And it was delightful Um, because this movie, this movie is never not fun. This movie doesn't have an ounce of fat on it. It doesn't have a single moment that you're like, all right, get through this scene and move on. Everything in this movie just fucking crushes and kills and is great. And there's so many great acting choices in it. There's so many great performances. There's so many amazing shots uh, that just let you have fun with what you're watching. Um, that everything just comes. This is the perfect junk food movie. When we talk about junk food perfection, this is the type of movie we're talking about. There is there. This is a movie that will never not entertain you. And that the deeper you dig into the technical aspects and the artistic merits of the movie, you realize it's just drenched in it. Like there is just so much art going on here from Sharon Stone's, subtle performances to the very, very tightly written script that gives you all the information you need to know, but never explains anything to you. Um, everything about this movie, uh, it fucks like every aspect fucks. It fucks quick and it fucks you dead. Like it is, man, I agree with you. It is so much fun from start to finish. And every single person in this movie is bringing it and that nobody is resting on the fact that it's like, oh, I'm here too. For example, can we talk about the character that Lance Henriksen is playing? Oh, yes. How he is just like, he has got an eating disorder where all he can consume is scenery. And it's, (laughs) it's just amazing to watch him work and just like flip that that like mullet he's got going on. And apparently he said that this was the most fun he ever had playing a role. And he said that his wife would visit set and be like, be still my heart. It's like, yeah, he, he speaking of, of things that fuck Lance Henriksen's <laughs> character, Ace definitely fucks. Yeah, no. And it's, 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 there's so much to Ace that, that makes this movie what it is. The production design of his outfit is just fantastic. The satire going on the parody rather of wild Bill Hickok is yes. just so great. Um, and then the great turn, um, like it's just so great in, in, in terms of writing and performance, as I've been talking about where you just like ACE, like he is like, he's trying to be cool, but you like him anyway. And, you know, and he does that really cool gunshot. And then Gene Hackman walks out and he goes, that's a great trick. I heard you blew a little girl's thumb off in Reno doing that. And just the, the way Hackman says it, and then the look in Henriksen's eyes that he allows that you realize that's the truth. And in that moment, you turn on that character and you're like, oh, he's that fucking guy. Oh, that's so good. And it's just so amazingly executed. And that is one of those moments where performance, writing, direction, cinematography, all of that works together to create this great moment. And then we get a series of those moments as we learn every character's dark secret. Yes, Um, yes. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about was the characters and their secrets in this movie. Every character has a fascinating secret. And I think I think that's what elevates this movie into something that could have just been a fun action Western about a blood sport, you know, gunfight tournament. But instead is a really engaging movie to watch because every single character you're seeing, even Gene Hackman who in this movie is just delightfully evil, has a really empathetic secret that is just full of pathos. And I, I think, though, my my favorite of all of them is is the secret that, um, that Keith David's character has. Oh, yeah. Because Keith David's character's secret, and I, this is your official spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Keith David's secret basically tells us that Gene Hackman in this town, this town that the movie is set in, is the town where the Magnificent Seven failed. This is the town where a guy came in with his group of thugs, set up shop, taxed the people to death, and they hired somebody to fight for them, and it didn't fucking work. And when you watch this movie as sort of the other side of the card of the Magnificent Seven, it becomes fascinating. Oh, yeah. No, and especially, I love the the scene where we get the the real exposition on that where it's that, you know, it's just a breakfast between Gene Hackman and Keith David. 
And and Hackman puts his cards on the table and says, you know, who hired you? Um, uh, and uh, Keith David is just, hey, look, I'm a shootist. I don't take any pleasure in this. I don't like killing people. I'm just good at it. Uh, but th- this is and so this is business. And my business proposition is that I don't reveal who I'm working for. And and he just there's just this coolness to him. And then when Hackman challenges him, he laughs because that was exactly what he needed him to do. And so he feels like he's got the upper hand in this. And it's so it's so well executed. And it's such a great moment from Keith David. Keith David does not often play characters that allow him to be joyous or joyful in a scene. So seeing Keith David laugh in that way and seem very happy in that moment um, is such a great moment to be a uh, to be a fan of his because it's not something you often see and it just comes across with such raw charisma so that a few minutes later when he gets humiliated and gunned down the way he does it is brutal and Hackman is just going full tilt into the villainousness here like you don't often see Hackman playing like Hackman played Lex Luthor and didn't play him as ruthless as this. Like, <laughs> this might be Hackman's most detestable role. Um, it is. It, he's just savage in this fucking thing. And yeah, so Keith David is great. <clears throat> and then, of course, we've got, um, you know, uh, Russell Crowe. And Russell Crowe's secret is, of course, that he used to ride with, uh, uh, with Hackman and that he was Hackman's protege and he let Hackman down and he murdered a priest who had nursed them back to health simply because Hackman was going to kill him if he didn't, because Hackman wanted to turn him into him. And so that's just such a great turn and watching. And I love that. That's it's, it's again, one of those tropes that, you know, this entire movie is, I'm going to take every character I love from every spaghetti Western and put them in. And this is the man who has renounced violence forced into violence again. And that's one of my favorite tropes. I just love that. It's, it's the, you know, it's the tortured Christian. It's the person forced into the situation that they don't want to be in, but they're really good at it. I mean, we saw this in, you know, we had seen this the year before in unforgiven. Um, and this is a great shorthanded version of that. Um, uh, then of course Leonardo DiCaprio, the son. Oh my um, gosh, his or, his character arc is in is, is amazing. Yeah, not only his character arc, but Hackman's character arc, and that's again what I love about this movie. What's so good? A lesser movie would have never Hackman would have never showed any emotion uh, about this. Uh, instead, what this movie does is when Sharon Stone has decided, I'm gonna fucking kill that motherfucker today's the day and goes up and challenges him and hackman just has that thousand yard stare and he's just looking off because he's been challenged by his son already yeah and he's broken and he doesn't want he has just called previously the the day previously he has called it shooting to the death only no more last man you know it's not last man standing it's last man alive and hackman realizes today is the day he has to murder his son and he Oof. doesn't want to fucking do it. And, and he tries so hard to give him. But what, what I love is like he he finds a way to show that emotion in a way that is on brand for the character where he's just trying to give him an out. It's like, look, you proved it. Back out. Like, give up. Like you you've already proved your point. Like step and he's he's really just pleading with his son to not because he w- doesn't want to kill him, but at the same time, he's still being Herod. He's still being the bad guy. And he's just like, look, you proved your point. Just step aside. Step down. Let's just go home. And and DiCaprio refuses to do it because, one, he hates his father. And two, he's got the he's got a, an extreme Cool Ranch Dorito chip on his shoulder that he just he has to do this. He has to prove himself. And I want to I want to say one more thing about this cast, though. This <laughs> let's let's do this as um as Johnny Carson. This cast is so stacked. How stacked is it? It is so stacked that it's a Sam Raimi movie that Bruce Campbell was cut out of. <laughs> Weird, yes. wild stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that because I want to. There's something I want to address about what we just talked about. There's a reason I put Russell Crowe together with Leonardo DiCaprio, and that is the economy of this story is so well done. 
No one ever says it out loud. A lesser movie, again, would have said it. But the reason Herod is such a piece of shit to DiCaprio, to his son, is because he already had someone he considered to be his son, Russell Mm Crowe, and he let him down. And he is trying to turn his son into the hard man that he is, to make him fearless like he is, to not be end up disappointing him the way Russell Crowe did, the way Court did, because Court let him down and disappointed him. And he's trying right now to get Court to reveal that he is the guy Russell, the, the guy Herod was all along, that he was right about him and that he is his protege. And he doesn't want DiCaprio to let him down the way that Court did. And the fact that that is all in this without being said out loud, just, oh, it's so, it's such delicious storytelling. It's so well done. Uh, this is, this is Oscar caliber screenwriting for a movie that got dismissed as uh, a cheesy knockoff. And it is so, so well done. But yes, Bruce Campbell showed up to set and said, hey, Sam, you didn't put me in the movie. Um so uh, put me in the movie. And so he he kind of he he kind of did. There's a legend about that. There's a legend about that. OK, what's what's the legend about the this? legend? The legend goes that um, they were shooting this sequence that got cut, the wedding sequence, and that um, Bruce showed up on set and uh, and gave Sam a hard time going, Sam, you know, look at this cast. It's, you've got all these people. There were so many roles for me. Why didn't you put me in the movie? And he goes, well, this is really Sharon's movie. And, um, you know, uh, and I didn't, you know, have the opportunity, uh, but I can put you in now. And he's like, of course, because I'm in all of your movies. I got to be in. So he goes, I'm going to dress you up, go to wardrobe, get dressed up. And um, and then I'll give you direction. I'll, I'll tell you what to do. And so what he did was uh, he walks over um, uh, to uh, Pat Hingle and he says, okay, Pat, so here's what's happening. I'm putting my buddy in the movie. There's this great moment. He's going to come over and he's going to hit on your daughter. And then I want you to slug him in the gut as hard as you can. He's going to be padded. So just slug him in the gut, give it a good shot. Cause we got to give your character this moment of finally standing up for his daughter. And Pat's like, okay, I'm ready to go. I'll uh, happy to do it. And then he goes over to Bruce Campbell, and uh, he go, who is not padded, by the way. He is not prepared for this stunt. He goes, okay, so what I want you to do is walk over to this, um, uh, to this character, this daughter, and I want you to lean over and act like you're saying something lascivious, trying to p- to pick her up. And he goes, okay, I can do that. And so he goes over, he hits on the daughter. Pat Hingle comes over you know, just gut punches him, drops Bruce to the ground. Bruce is wheezing for air with the wind knocked out of him. And, uh, um, and then Sam famously says, okay, uh, we got it in one cut. Um, and the cameraman's like, uh, we didn't have any film in the camera. We were changing. He goes, good, great, go, let's go. Um, so reportedly there's not even footage of Bruce Campbell getting (laughs) punched in the belly. That is the legend. I don't know how true it is, but that has been a legend for 25 years. And that's the story I choose to believe. Hey, the quick and the apocryphal. I am here for it. And that's an awesome, I've never heard that before, but that's an awesome fucking story. (laughs) I I, hope it is 100% true. (laughs) I, I want to believe it. I definitely want to believe it. We'll return after these messages. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As much as I want to believe the story about who did a lot of the rewrites on this movie. Um, so Simon Moore is the credited writer. His script was uh, it was purchased by the studio. And that's when uh, Sharon Stone got involved. But Simon Moore's script was apparently had some onset rewrites by a legend of junk food cinema by the name of John Sayles. Well, because sales was your go-to guy for westerns at that point. Like that, this he did a lot of work on historical and western stuff in 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 that decade, and yeah, that that would not surprise me. And that there's a lot of this that feels very, very, very 
like him. It is, you know, it is he sale. This has sales written all over it. Uh, so that does not that would not shock me. I, I will say that all of the like the Western with the truckload of family secrets definitely feels like John Sayles. Uh, also, interestingly enough, the ending was was reworked by uh, Joss Whedon. So the studio actually suggested to Raimi when he realized his original ending didn't work, he went to Sony and asked for a writer to fix it. And they suggested Joss Whedon, who apparently saw the movie and and fixed the ending in one afternoon. So we have uh, a Sam Raimi movie with a Simon Moore script that has had work done on it by both John Sayles and Joss Whedon. Whedon was a big script doctor at that time, um, like to the point that at uh, just after this movie, he spent a lot of time on the phone writing dialogue for this movie that was going off the rails. Um that was just destined not to be good. It was some stupid movie about uh, a bus that had a bomb on it that would that if it dropped below 50 miles an hour, the bus would blow up and they could not get it to work. And so the, he was literally rewriting the movie and on the phone, feeding them dialogue to shoot in their scenes as that happened. That's that's who Joss Whedon was in the 90s. And when he when he did work on this, I don't know um, why you chose to speed through that plot synopsis. What was the name of the movie? Um, I don't remember. Uh, it, 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 it clearly could not have ended up good, um, you know, with that premise. Um, <laughs> the bus that couldn't slow down. Uh, the bus that couldn't slow down or whoa, slow down. Um, <laughs> I think that's what it was called. Really? I remember. On Keanu's birthday, you're going to you're going to make that joke. <laughs> not today, Cargill. Not on this holy day. What are you going to do, hotshot? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> so he, here's a pop quiz for you, hotshot. Do you know who plays the Swedish gunman uh, Goodson? Yes. Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger's best friend and former stunt double. Svenel Thorson, who, by the way, uh, if you ever get around to listening to the three and a half hour last action hero episode, Cargill. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's that. Let me let me put that right at the top of my docket. <laughs> you should. Uh, there's a part where I have to tell. Uh, I have to tell Joe Lynch who Sven Olthorsen is, and it kind of broke my soul a little bit. Of all the people I know who I thought would know who Sven Olthorsen was, it was Joe Lynch. I had I had to I had to, I had to it was just crazy that I had to break you the know, news. You know who we didn't mention is also in this? Mick Garris. That's true. He's one of the one of the henchmen for Herod and I think it just the flashback. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's he, it's it's again, it's a parade of people that uh um uh, uh that you know were friends with Raimi at the time cuz Raimi was this, you know, low budget uh horror filmmaker that got uh convinced the studio to ma- let him make a crazy thing or two. And then here he was, you know, given the chance to do this. And uh, it is, uh, uh, it's just, it's exceptional how many people are in this fucking movie. Like it's, it, it always ba- it boggles the mind. There's not, there just isn't another genre movie that aged quite like this with so many cinema legends in it. Um, it's it is it is every if if you were to make a pick one movie that had to represent Mount Junk Food, it might be this one. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I'm I'm shocked it took us this long to get around to covering it, because even even small like Robert's Blossom, who plays the doctor in this movie, you know who he is, because if you've seen Home Alone, you know who he is. He's the the shoveler that lives next door. I'm also a big fan of his from a crazy ass Ed Gein knockoff movie called Deranged. He's an amazing fucking actor. And in this movie, even he's got a secret. And it's a beautiful, heartbreaking, like just glorious. It makes you want to hug him. Like it's such a great moment uh, that he has as well. And we mentioned that Woody Strode has literally one line as the undertaker in this movie. <laughs> well, it's, that's the, it's what's so great. It's the great nod. She rides in the town and the first person she sees is Woody Strode. Who's got this great line. And it's like, Hey guys, you're in a spaghetti Western. This is what you've just written into spaghetti town population. Morricone. Um, it is ex- that, that it's just that nod. Um, and yeah, it's so great to see, you see it, and it's one of Woody Strode's last movies, isn't it? I believe I believe that is correct. I know for a fact it was Robert Blo- Robert's Blossom's last feature film. Uh, Woody 
I believe you're correct on that too, because I think he left. Yeah, he actually died before the release of this movie, because he passed away in, in December. Actually, the last day of December '94. So he passed away before this movie was. But but again, a guy who. <laughs> Like, this is not an accident, people. It's not an accident that Woody Strode, who was also in the opening scene of Once Upon a Time in the West, one of the greatest openings to any film, forget Western, any film ever made, is also in the opening specifically of this movie. Like, that to me is the greatest Western reference in the whole film, is that Woody Strode also opens this film. Oh, and, and you know, did we mention Mark Boone Jr. yet? We did, but I want to mention the fact that Mark Boone Jr., who is also in Batman Begins is essentially just playing Victor Zaz in fucking Quick and the Dead. I mean, we really need to talk about this. Every time he shoots someone, he's he's playing a character named Scars who gives himself a scar every time he killed someone. He's Victor fucking Zaz. <laughs> that is true. And he's in the movie with Commissioner Gordon, Pat Hingle. Like there's a and, and Lex Luthor, there's a lot of shit going on here, guys, that we need to discuss. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such good fucking shit. Like that's the things. And now the one thing I will say is the only only disappointment here is that Scars is the only one without a secret. True like story. Scars Scars is just a guy who's escaped from prison uh, and is just kind of hungry to kill some folks. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Maybe and, he does uh, have a secret, but he's just more guarded about it. Maybe it's Scars is guarded about it. Scars. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the one character we really haven't spoken much about, which is Sharon Stone's lady. Yes. Um. Uh, she is it's such a great character Um, and it's the type of character that you know that really kind of personifies great spaghetti westerns but also does a thing that we're not really uh, spaghetti westerns weren't really allowed to do with their protagonists which is make them fearful make them not the best in town you know, Lady is not the best uh, and fastest gunslinger. She's not. Um, she's not fearless the way uh, Gene Hackman is. Um, she she lacks a lot of what the people surrounding her have. But what she has is a determined secret that her father was murdered um, very much in a way familiar to it, it, what I believe is a nod to uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, with, you know, very much like harmonica, but then something that we haven't really seen before, which is she, as a little girl is given a chance to save her dad. If she can shoot the rope out from, uh, over him, then the, the, her dad can live. She raises the gun, she pulls the trigger and shoots her dad in the head. And so she feels the guilt of having murdered the father that she loves that you go this whole time thinking, oh, clearly, you know, her dad was murdered by Hackman and by Herod, and that's why uh, she's angry. No, it's worse than that. Herod put her in a situation and she killed her father. And so she holds him responsible for that. And then we have this great moment when she's like, fuck this. I'm out of town. I'm quitting this stupid fucking tournament. Um, And then she rides off and goes to the cemetery where Doc is waiting for her. And we get the final explanation of what's happened. And she's told that he wasn't even buried properly. She can't visit his grave. They dug him up. They burned his body. And the only thing left is here, the marshal's badge. And uh, and it's just such a good, nice, gut-wrenching sequence that just gets you like ready to watch Gene Hackman suffer. Um, and how she solves it is with what she has over everyone else, which is her cleverness. Um, she's not the fastest. She's not the best shot. She's clever. And she knows something that no one else knows, which is DiCaprio literally sleeps on a bed of dynamite. And that is such a spaghetti answer to an ending. Okay. It's so glorious. Okay. That's it. You have now given me three perfect titles for a Western film podcast. The first was Dripping with Spaghetti. The second was Population Morricone and now Sleeps on a Bed of Dynamite. What the fuck, Cargill? (laughs) It's almost as if I do this for a living. (laughs) You do Western podcasts for a living. Yes, that's very true. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, somebody's somebody's got to correct the uh, the factual inaccuracies in Tombstone. Sure, yeah, absolutely. That's what everyone goes to see Tombstone for is the factual accuracy, for <laughs> sure. But you're right. I love Sharon Stone's character because while, while she is vulnerable, she's also doing something that we we've never really seen in a Western, and that is the the woman with no name, the female high plains drifter. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's not something that you'd ever really seen before in a Western. And she carries the film so beautifully. And her individual secret is so tragic that it, it makes you hate Herod more than if he had just shot Gary Sinise in the head. And it's like, you have to be a bad guy to shoot Gary Sinise in the head in the first place. I mean, unless you're in like, I don't know, eight millimeter or something where he's, he's playing a bad guy. You have to be a real piece of shit to even, think to kill Gary Sinise but to make his daughter do it it's just next level horrendous and I I just love how Gene Hackman holds sway over this town and how everyone is so scared of him except for DiCaprio the kid in this movie he may be young but DiCaprio is fucking holding court in this film he's basically baby Rick Dalton throughout the whole fucking thing he's just owning every minute of screen time yeah and the thing the thing that I love about it again I'm going to keep banging this drum because the economy of story here, uh, Gene Hackman <clears throat> spends the entire time trying to vin- convince court that he is him, that he can be as fearless as him uh, because he is the son, you know, he never had in his head, but he does have a son and that son did inherit his fearlessness, but he brings the fearlessness with a cockiness mm-hmm. that, 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 uh, Herod doesn't have. Herod's not really cocky. Herod just knows he's better than everyone else and shows it. DiCaprio needs to prove it. And he's cocky in order to prove it because he wants to get the respect and love from his father that his father has never shown him. And he really is his father's son to the point that he puts it in a situation that you'll respect me or you will die. That is the situation we're in right now. We are going to have a shootout and I'm going to prove that I am faster than you because I'm not afraid of you. And he doesn't show fear until that moment that he realizes he's dead. Same with Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman doesn't show a lick of fear the entire movie until he realizes he is lost and he is dead. And it is such a great parallel line of storytelling that Gene Hackman, had he just understood that his son really was his, you know, the, you know, truly cut from the same cloth as him, the ending wouldn't have gone the way it went. And that is the big failing. And that great moment when, you know, DiCaprio's there sobbing, realizing he's shot dead and he's going to die and he doesn't want to die. And this was stupid. Uh, and the way Hackman stands over him, broken up by the fact that he's just murdered his son. And he tries to deny that he's his son, says it, it was never proven that he was my son. I don't have a son, you know, and that the way he but, you know, you fucking know he knows that it's clearly his son and it's just so well done and never in the in the film does it tell the story of how it happened because it doesn't have to. And it just, this movie always knows when it doesn't have to tell you a detail because you'll fill in. Like the fact that it never says why he had, he threw this tournament. You know why he threw this tournament. And you know all the reasons Gene Hackman threw this tournament. It's because he loves killing people and he wants a legal excuse to kill people. And at the same time, he wants to be able to call in his enemies and he knows how to call in his enemies. And it's, it's so well put together in the way it doles out um, its information. And then you just drink it all in and put it all together. And the movie just has layers upon layers of what's going on in it. And it's not something you see commonly in a film like this. It's just, it is junk food made with the care of, uh, of a true classic. And, and I think it's, it's masterful. Yeah. And I think part of that is that Raimi finds a way to balance between, you know, his bag of tricks and the silliness that is inherent in a lot of Raimi's work with the emotionally substantial elements in the movie. Like on the one hand, he's able to bring in a little bit of his of his horror mastery. Like my favorite thing about this movie is there's so many scenes where you get honest to God scares out of the fact that you think people are dead and then they come back for like one last fight. 
like that happens two or three times throughout the movie and it to me it's the one lingering horror element that it's like you bring Raimi to this you're going to get some horror elements for sure and that like the the moment where uh, we haven't really talked about him yet but when Lady goes up against uh, Dread uh, played by Kevin Conway in this movie who talk about a really ugly secret that guy has Um, well and it's not really a secret (laughs) well yeah no it's not and but I mean like when he you think they have this great shootout in the rain. You think he's dead. And then he comes barreling into that bar, like screaming, like, like a deadite. Like his name should be, his name should be Eugene deadite instead of Eugene dread. Cause he comes in and just causes this havoc. And it feels very much like a horror movie. And then you have the elements like when Keith David has his showdown with Gene Hackman and just that hole like that. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like a Bruce Campbell gag, just the big hole in the head. Oh, yeah, no, you've got the big hole in the head. You've got the uh, uh, Sharon Stone blowing Conway's dick off. Yep. Um, and then you've got the, the that great shot at the end when uh, uh, when Gene Hackman gets hit the, the hole through him and we see it in the shadow. We see the light coming through the hole. It's, oh, my it, God, it, it's so in beautiful. In fact, you know, in, for Unfiltered Wife, that was my favorite moment of rewatching this was just just she saw that and she just, she, she's just watching the screen. She looks at me. She's like, that's not how that works, but I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. (laughs) And it was just, it was what it's like, yeah, no, it's clearly cartoonish, but it's such delightful cartoonishness. That's what me really brings this movie. But he balances that against things like, for example, you mentioned when DiCaprio gets shot and he's, he's crying and like just saying, I don't want to die. And it's heartbreaking. Or to me, to me, the most like one of the more emotionally substantial little tiny moments in this movie is when Dread, uh, he's upstairs with a very young girl, an underage girl, and she mm-hmm. leaves crying, and he's got his back turned to Pat Hingle, and he's got his guns up on his shoulder, and you see Pat Hingle, the bartender, reach toward the gun, and you know the thought in his head is that he wants to kill this guy for what he's done. But he's he, a coward. He's a coward and can't bring it. But oh my god, that made the, that tiny three second moment maybe the best acting I've ever seen from Pat Hingle. Oh yeah, no, it's so great. No, no, no. That's it's what's so great about this movie is every character that's given anything is given something very real to do. True story. Um, uh, in fact, the, the thing to point out is the girl, the daughter. Um, she's fifteen. She was fifteen years old when she made this movie. Like it mm-hmm. is clearly underage that this guy's going after and it is uh, and he's delightfully gross about it. Um, But I've got, I've got the hottest of takes for you, my friend. All right. Fresh from the oven. Cargill's got a hot take. This is Sam Raimi's best movie. Ooh, man. You know, I love me some Raimi. I love me some fucking Raimi, but every single Raimi movie, there's not a movie that Raimi's made that does everything as perfect as this movie. Like I love me some army of darkness and evil dead, uh, evil dead Two in particular, but, uh, you know, and I dig the Spider-Man movies quite a bit. I love dark man, but man, there is nothing here in this movie that isn't fucking perfect. And every moment here is delightful. If you listen very closely, you will hear the sound of gloves hitting the floor after they definitely have come off. But I will say this Cargill I think you're absolutely fucking right. I, I definitely agree that the quick and the dead is Sam Raimi's best overall movie. Yeah. It's, and it's something that people just don't haven't really said or fought for, or really even maybe thought about. If you disagree with me, I challenge you to sit down and watch this movie tonight and, and think about it because you will watch it and you'll be like, man, this is, this is Raimi firing on all cylinders and he's getting amazing performances out of people. Like you just mentioned about Hingle, everyone, everyone here, you, there's arguments that some of these performances are among those characters, those actors, best performances. Yep. Um, there is, he gets the very best out of everyone in this movie. Um, it, you know, nobody is like. There's nobody that you're like, well, I mean, yeah, but that moment or they weren't so. No, no, no. Everyone is fucking great. Everyone is allowed to shine. 
Um, and you don't see that from uh, from movies like this. You know, maybe a character gets one good moment or two, and here, every time someone's allowed to do something, they are doing it at their peak, at the peak of their powers, and and that's what a great director pulls out of people. Um, you know, Hackman at this time was starting to get lazy. He was towards the end of his career. Um, I've heard numerous stories uh, about, like, especially on the replacements. Uh, that's a movie we need to talk about at some point in time. Uh, where he didn't even want to be on set in background shots, so he had a body double who would be uh, standing so that he didn't have to stand outside uh, while you know uh, shooting separate action. Uh, yeah, um, but to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, Bill Belichick does the same thing when the Patriots are on defense. He just gets a stand in to stand on the sidelines. So. <laughs> Sports jokes. Sports jokes. Everyone loves on junk food cinema. But but so, yeah. So Hackman was just kind of like he was starting to be done at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, he just was getting to the point that he wanted to retire. But here he is delivering his all like he is just dripping with menace. Um, and uh, and he see and he's having a good time doing it. Um, and and that's that's Ramey pulling all this out of everybody, um, you know, it, there's a phrase I, I really strongly dislike in criticism where uh, it's the laziest criticism possible, wh which is calling something badly directed. And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? What does badly directed mean? You, you, you mean there's something you don't like about this here, bad choices, but you can't identify bad direction because direction doesn't appear on screen. Um, however, great direction does. Um, you know, you can see when someone is having something really pulled out of them and this is Ramey at his peak powers. And I don't, you know, I, I, I desperately want him on, uh, you know, uh, personally for multiverse of madness to bring this Sam Raimi to set and make this movie as a doctor, you know, that bring this talent to Dr. Strange. Cause, um, God, he's just so fucking great here. And everything in this movie is perfect. And the 6.4 it has on IMDb is a goddamn travesty. Let's introduce legislation at the local level to get that fucking changed because that's insane. But you know what's even more insane is you're right. There is a sort of Gene Hackman looking at the end of his career and sometimes, you know, taking on projects where he's, he's just really not bringing it. But at the same time, go forward from Quick and the Dead some of his very best performances are after this. Like, uh, arguably, his you know one of his greatest performances of all time comes just before this with Unforgiven. But after this, you have Crimson Tide, you have The Birdcage, you have Enemy of the State, and you and you have Enemy of the State. All those movies come out after The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, he had his big run there at the very end, um, and uh, it's so weird that the last thing we ever got from Hackman because Hackman is, he's just like, he's like, no, I'm not coming back. Like I'm 90 years old. I'm not ever acting again. Um, the last thing we ever got out of him was welcome to Mooseport. Hey, I'm going to start calling myself the Kingslayer. Hey, well, did a movie with me and he won't do it again. Hey. Fucking Ray Romano chasing Gene Hackman out of the business. What the fuck? Mooseport. I will never go to Mooseport. I want to say that here and now I will never go there. Is it a real place? I don't know if it's a real place. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, he did have an amazing run there. And, you know, from, you know, uh, uh, I would say, like, really, I would say starting with Unforgiven in 92, um, he's just got this amazing run. Let's just go through. He did Unforgiven, The Firm, uh, Geronimo, Wyatt Earp, Quick and the Dead, Crimson Tide, Get Shorty, The Birdcage, uh, Extreme Measures isn't good. Uh, the chamber's all right. Absolute power's bad. Um, Twilight's all right. Uh, Enemy of the state, which we, why haven't we done Enemy of the state? Because here's sidebar. Because we keep wanting to do Great Scott, and we keep shying yeah, away right. from movies that that are like we think are Tony Scott's best, because we don't want it. We want to put those all together. So that's the reason, because it's a package deal. We can't just do Enemy of the State. We got to do Great Scott. Yeah, and and that run is just it's just crazy good. Like you're talking six years was those movies. Yeah, 
It's um, nuts. It's it's and yeah. the guy remains a legend. And and speaking of legends, there's one we haven't mentioned. Uh, we've mentioned his work, but not actually credited him by name. And that is Dante Spinotti, who uh, shot this movie. Who also shoots? Oh, I don't know. Most of Michael Mann's films. So a guy that maybe knows what he's doing and has a very specific eye for visual aesthetic, like. He shoots the fucking hell out of this movie. I love like we talked about the light coming through the bullet hole and and just the way that he is able to find shadow in mostly daylight shots in the old west. Like I fucking love what Spinati does in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 fucking gorgeous work. Like and there's you know the the goofy gags they play as well playing on spaghetti westerns are so much fun. Um you know, the, the quick zoom ins on eyes mm-hmm. and and, uh, you know, just the way they do it and the way they do it where it's like, hey, we're doing good, the bad and the ugly, but we're not stealing from good, the bad and the ugly. Instead, we are we are telling you, hey, we're doing good, the bad, the ugly. Isn't this fun? And you just have fun with it. And it allows that moment to be tense and fun at the same time. And I love, 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 love the dialogue in this film. It's just so snappy. And so like one of my favorite lines in the whole film is when they're all signing up for the tournament and Keith David says, uh, Sergeant Cantrell, like that's his name. Like, how do you spell it? And he takes a long drag off his pipe and just says correctly. <laughs> the dialogue in this is so good. So and there's and it's like there's funny dialogue and then there's is perfectly menacing dialogue. Like when Gene Hackman said, I had a beautiful wife, but she was unfaithful. And uh lady says, Well, where is she now? And he says, I told you she was unfaithful. And it's just like, okay, that is the end of that subject for sure. And of course, coming out of Gene Hackman's mouth, it's just it's it's like fucking wine. And I I I love everything about this movie. There's nothing about this movie I don't love. Everything from the dialogue and the cinematography and the score and the performances, right down to the goofy little moments of like like Spotted Horse, who is a character who just brags about how many times he's been shot. And I swear to God, at some point there was I Cargill. I would bet my life that somewhere for a brief period of time, there was a bulletin board with the list of people they wanted for roles. And Wes Studi's fucking name was on that board, at least for a little bit of time. Uh, But he talks about all the times he's been shot and lived. And then he has a super shredder moment at the end of this movie where (laughs) he's been like finally taken out. But then his hand comes back up just for a moment and falls down. It's oh, I love everything. Every little moment, every character turn, every character secret. It's. It's it's probably one of my favorite movies ever, and it just happens to be a Western. So by that logic, it is also one of my favorite Westerns ever made. And it's it's just a perfect film. Yes, I concur. The quick and the dead. You're either one or the other. And I feel like a perfect film like The Quick and the Dead that is dripping with spaghetti requires a delicious spaghetti dinner to accompany it. Am I wrong? I mean, is this an easy junk food pairing? I feel like, Oh, it's absolutely. I mean, absolutely a nice, uh, a nice bolognese. Um, you know, you, you, you make yourself a, a, a nice, uh, finely minced mirepoix. Uh, you, you saute that up, you throw in your ground beef, you let that simmer, you, you deglaze it with wine. You let it cook for like three or four hours. Like this is a nice, good, fucking delicious spaghetti like you put care into the spaghetti this is not i made it from a can or from a jar this is good old-fashioned very simple grandma's fucking recipe it simmers for hours and then you serve it with the right spaghetti and it is just fucking delicious that is what you pair this with did you say mirepoix yeah mirepoix isn't that what timon and the lion king is no that's a meerkat. Got it. Got it. You do realize, though, that we are very close to losing our junk food cred when you use words like mirepoix on junk food cinema, right? Like, you can't just Dude, go around so saying much, that shit. So much great fucking food uh, that is great fucking junk food has a mirepoix base. That is a mirepoix is just the word for when you saute up uh, uh, carrots, celery and onion together. And it's the base core flavor of so much of great junk food. Um, and uh, and it's a great mirepoix, uh, a great bolognese is made with a great mirepoix all right well i'm gonna go have myself a bolognese sandwich with with mayonnaise that's what bolognese is right it's bologna and mayonnaise no yes clearly (laughs) guys thank you for for judging the quick and the dead with us today we have judged it to be a perfect film and we hope that if you haven't seen it that you will seek it out right now by the way it is on the imdb tv channel 
on Amazon Prime. And everywhere you go, it says if you watch it on IMDb TV, there are ads. There was not a single ad when I watched it last night. So I would I would you have an ad blocker on your computer. No, I watched it on my my Apple TV. I just I weird. Yeah, it was crazy. I actually I actually paid to rent it because I was like, I don't want to fucking watch ads. <laughs> well, see, that's why you are a mirepoix and I am a bologna and cheese or whatever the hell you said. <laughs> Guys, I hope that you will seek out our back catalog on iTunes, on Spreaker, on Spotify, anywhere you cram those things into your ear holes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Junk Food Cinema. Like the podcast on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Junk Food Cinema. And if you really like the show. I mean, you really like mirepoix. You can... G- <laughs> <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash I knew that oh, yeah. I don't I still don't I don't think you're using real words in any language, but I'm just gonna let it slide. Uh you can go to patreon.com slash junk food cinema. For as little as a dollar an episode, you get access to bonus content that nobody gets to hear. Yes, it's only a dollar an episode. It is not the one hundred and thirty thousand dollar prize money that was uh, offered in this, which by the way, they figured it out with inflation would be two point eight million dollars today. So a hefty hefty reward for winning this tournament and really the winner is anyone who watches the quick and the dead cargill where can people find you on the interwebs you can find me on twitter and instagram at massworm that's m-a-s-s-a-w-y-r-m or uh uh my other podcast uh right along with dave chen uh wherever you listen to your podcasts awesome guys thank you so much for joining us and uh i now declare the quick draw competition open Oh, oh shit! We uh, we actually drew seven o'clock, so we we gotta we gotta head to Town Square because Cargill and I have to duel. Now on video cassette. Exclusively from Columbia TriStar Home Video. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.